Welcome to TrekCast, the official podcast of the Real Estate Council from deep in the heart of Dallas, Texas. I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks so much for listening. Today's show is a replay of our January 29th Market Matters panel discussion entitled Finding the New in the Old, which covered the exciting ways that existing commercial assets here in DFW are being repurposed for today's world. The panel was moderated by DCEO's Christine Perez and featured Jim Lake of Jim Lake Companies, Jack Matthews of Matthews Southwest, Dale Todd of J.P. Morgan Asset Management, and Sean Todd of Todd Interests. We'd like to thank our panel and everyone that attended the event on the 29th, as well as series sponsor Grant Thornton, speaker sponsor Stream Realty Partners, and media sponsor DCEO for their support. If you're new to the podcast, be sure to subscribe to get the latest episodes right to your mobile devices. We're available on most of the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. You can also follow the Real Estate Council on social media so that you never miss an update from us. If you've got an idea for a future episode or series, please email me at bsanantonio at recouncil.com or reach out to Kelsey Holmes at kholmes at recouncil.com. We'll also put those emails in the show notes and on the blog over at recouncil.com. And now, a replay of our January 29th Market Matters panel, Finding the New in the Old, right here on TrackCast. Good morning. I'm Bill Cawley. Welcome. We appreciate you being here. First and foremost, I'd like to thank our sponsors, Grant Thornton for being our series sponsor, DCEO for being our media sponsor, and Stream Realty for being our speaker sponsor. Appreciate you. This wouldn't happen without you all. In 2020, the Real Estate Council will be celebrating its 30th anniversary. And uh, those of you that know about the Real Estate Council know it's about relationships, career success, civic responsibility, and community investment. Um, it's We're trying to uh, focus on making Dallas a better city over the next 20 years and turn it into the city that, that we can all imagine. Now I'd like to... Uh, welcome our panel to the stage and introduce Christine, our moderator. I've known Christine for longer than I'd like to admit and probably she would want me to admit. She is the editor of DCEO. She's been named the country's best regional business publication for the five of the last six years. She's a national award-winning journalist who has covered the North Texas market since 2000. You know, I met Christine when I was first uh, trying to build my business, and she has always been at the forefront, no matter where she is uh, in Dallas. And if you pay attention, every publication she's been involved in has flourished while she's been there and struggled when she left. So come on up, Christine. I appreciate you. Come on up. All right. I think I'm going to have to do this with glasses. Gets to that point. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for joining us this morning as we talk about the evolution of redevelopment in Dallas-Fort Worth. We have an incredible panel this morning to weigh in on the matter. And they are Jim Lake, Jr. with Jim Lake Companies, uh, which has created the Bishop Arts District in North Oak Cliff and is a driving force in the Dallas Design District. He and his beautiful wife, Amanda Marino, have also utterly transformed the town square in Waxahachie. And their latest effort is rebuilding from the ashes of the historic Ambassador Hotel. And we'll learn more about that in a few minutes. And next, we have Jack Matthews of Matthews Southwest. Uh, took a Canadian to teach Dallas sites about the value of property on the south side of downtown Dallas. And that's what he did with Southside and Lamar, a pioneering development that he has since followed with projects, projects like the Omni 
Convention uh, Center Hotel, Gillies, the renovation of the old Dallas High School, is now involved in the bullet train project that will link Dallas to Houston. Jack has a gift for tackling complex projects, takes a long-term approach, seeing opportunities that are hidden to most, and being patient while waiting for the rest of us to catch up. <clears throat> up next is Dale Todd. He's the executive director of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. He's based in New York, but he's been involved with a number of Dallas projects, including the remarkable renovation of Trammell Crow Center and the transformation happening at East Quarter. Dale is a perfect addition to this panel because he has deep knowledge of the market, uh, but he also offers that national view. And sometimes in Dallas, we have a tendency to get caught up in the things that are happening all around us. So Dale's going to be able to tell us how what's going on here compares to other markets. And last but not least, we have Sean Todd. Uh, no relation to Dale. Sean is the developer of East Quarter, a spectacular adaptive reuse project that involves about 18 historic buildings on several blocks between Deep Ellum, the Dallas Farmer's Market, and downtown. And if you haven't been there lately, go check it out. Uh, it's remarkable. His projects also include One Dallas Center and the beautiful post office building at 400 North Irvey. Sean's latest endeavor is the single largest redevelopment project ever tackled in Texas, the 450 million former First National Bank Tower at 1401 Elm Street in downtown. So please welcome everyone. Thank you. Right, guys, let's start by talking about why you decided to get involved with redevelopment projects. It's not for the faint of heart. So, Jack, let's start with you. Not for the faint of heart, so we'll start with me. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, really, was a, I'll talk about uh, Southside. It was an opportunity that was sitting there that, that I guess, locals looking south of 30, um, you know, when we bought the south side, it was about to be taken down. They actually had the demolition agreement signed, but uh, not not delivered yet. So it was um, it was it was basically where opportunity meets cheap land meets views of the city that are incredible. And uh, so it was just an opportunity. But the old Dallas High School was something that uh, actually Christian Telecki and I used to have a, I think it was every two week meeting and we would drive down the ramp, Plaza of the Americas, and see that boarded up building every time we went down the ramp and every time we went to we said, we gotta do something with this building. So when that opportunity came up, it was, it was actually us saying we gotta do the right thing for the city, but it actually turned into a good real estate deal. It, uh, from a land perspective, it turned into a great deal, but it had all the challenges, so. What about you, Jim? Well, you know, uh, my, my father had a vision for Bishop Park, so he had, uh, I brokered the deal to him uh, back in 1986 and started to start build my own portfolio. Is that good? Ties in the way. Okay, sorry. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll restart. So, you know, the Bishop Arch was my father's vision. So he's, he, I brokered the deal to him back in 86 and then started uh, acquiring uh, these old warehouses in the Trinity, what was in the Trinity Industrial District with the idea that as, we, as I watched Bishop Arts mature uh, with the idea that something good was going to happen between the Trinity River and downtown Dallas. I didn't know exactly what it was, but you know, for about 10 years, we, we bought up uh, as many aware of the warehouses as we could. And then it, it, along the way, got a rezone because we, we already had some folks that were living in, the, in some of the warehouses, not, not legally necessarily. So we got the area rezoned uh, back in uh, 2003 to be able to allow the residential uh, living and then did the first uh, mixed-use uh, residential project with Trinity Loft and and uh, and then uh, it, it went on from there and then we did when we did international uh, just that same year in 2005 it really changed the dynamics of the district and extended that design district and and uh, it's it's one of the things that it was our backyard and uh, and that's where we decided to play Monopoly. Diversifying uh, yeah. the district, making it stronger. What about you, Dale? I spoke with someone this morning that uh, this is the point where I usually make something up that sounds cool, but my partner at Stream Realty is here and I can't do that. Uh, it's too bad. Uh, so, 
as it relates to our motivation is a little bit different than um, uh, you know uh, these guys who are local to Dallas, right? We're thinking about allocating capital. Uh, can you hear me now? No. Did I do something? Oh, there we go. All right. <laughs> All right, no, it works. I'll just leave it right here. Um, oh, so you didn't hear my joke. Well, that's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they didn't laugh. The, 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 the part about where we're, where we're related. Yeah. <laughs> Let's try not to get off track too early. Uh, but we are cousins. We didn't tell Chris. We're actually twin sons of different brothers. Yeah, well, are that, right? You too. Um, so um, anyway, so redevelopment. So uh, JP Morgan's view or motivation is a little bit different than um, a you know, local operator. We're thinking about allocating capital to different markets and different projects in those markets and stuff like that. Um, so there are three major things that played into our decision at Tromacro uh, Center. Um, uh, the easy one first is we have a great local partner um, on the ground who's, you know, I, smart as I think I am, I can't run this project from New York. It just doesn't work like that. So um, we have a great local partner in Stream um, handling leasing, project management, um, and property management. Um, and that's kind of a gating issue for us in, in doing a, re a complicated redevelopment project. So that, um, so that part was, was relatively easy. Easy. The harder stuff, you know, the external factors for us are, are kind of uh, macro market type things, right? So what do we think about Dallas and the trajectory overall of the market? And that story is great. As you guys know, you live it every day. Um, for us, um, comparing Dallas to cities like Chicago and, and LA and New York um, and DC and, and, and places like that, you know, the Dallas st story is, is pretty, pretty outstanding from a job growth perspective and a population growth perspective you know, the in-migration and, and all the stuff you see and, and know every day. So we, we see that and, and perk up and think about ways to play the market. Travel Cross Center is a, is a deal we've owned since, I think, 2005 or something like that. Um, and so you know, the building was uh, built in 1984 and, and more or less untouched from a cosmetic perspective since then. So we uh, look at the fact that, okay, we're, there's this iconic asset that needs, you know, kind of a refresh to compete with with, with newer projects, can we do that? Can we deliver the things that are missing um, from the building that the market demands, like amenities and parking and, and that kind of thing? You know, we were able to check that box. We were able to acquire the site at 2000 Ross Avenue. Um, we had room in the building to redo the lobby and add a fitness center and a conference space and, and that kind of thing. So we could check, we could, we could cover the gap in terms of physical plant. We liked the big picture uh, macroeconomic story and the location of the asset, and we had a great partner on the ground. Those were the three big things for us. Excellent. It's uh, beautiful. So, um, all right, Sean, talk about your uh, entree into redevelopment. Say it one more time, Christine. Uh, why did you decide to get into redevelopment projects? Oh, gosh. We started back in the mid-'90s um, really doing adaptive reuse before there was a term. We were buying broken malls around the country that were first-generation, air-conditioned, enclosed malls. And with a totally different perspective in that business plan, which was finding something that was functionally obsolescent, trying to preserve as much as the functional part of those properties that you could, but you were really there because of the demographics, because you wouldn't have built a mall on that property in 1990. We learned a lot through that process. We called it demalling at the time. And, but through that process, it helped us understand that if you can see something that looks broken, and if you can repair it, and if you can do that within budget, and I want to say that again, if you can do that within budget, um, you know, you have something that's economically pleasing. But when you look at the properties we're doing in Dallas and that we've been doing around the country that are of a historical nature, I mean, we were compelled just in almost every instant by the wonderful architecture that you find in many of these buildings. I mean, the Dallas Post Office was built in 1929. It's got an amazing history to it. But you look at the classical Italian architecture, and it's interesting from a, you know, 100-year-back perspective, the architects of the day thought it was bland architecture. In fact, it was critically written against as not being redemptive. 
And in fact, it wasn't even an architect that designed it. It was a businessman that put a how-to manual, how to build these and stamp these out around the country. Having said that, we saw something in it, and you, you just, you're ennobled by being around it. Now, you have to make it work economically. We felt that our city would appreciate that type of architecture, and thankfully, uh, our citizenry have. And so we've just gone from that project to another project to another project, but uh, it's, it's very rewarding, it's challenging. You have to have a phenomenal team. Um, we couldn't do this without very skilled young executives that are passionate and creative and they have to have financial students along with that. And that's a very unique skill set. And we've, I think we've got the greatest in our city. It's really good to be a part of it. Uh, the next thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, what you guys have seen in terms of the evolution of redevelopment. Is there more of an interest in it? What trends are driving it? So you think uh, a younger generation has an interest in is uh, driving adaptive reuse and redevelopment forward? What are some other things that you guys are seeing? I think that's easy. I mean, I'll just use East Quarter as a classic example. So you've got eight city blocks that took almost two and a half years to assembled from multiple owners. You have um, parks for downtown Dallas as a very center part of that with the new Harwood Park. And thank goodness for uh, all the great leadership of the Belo Corporation and Robert Deckard and his team. Because these parks are impacting. They create a sense of purpose. They create a quality of life. But, you know, East Quarter is primarily early turn of the century automobile dealerships. In fact, the number one Cadillac dealership in the United States was based on Commerce Street. And so when you go in these buildings, you see something that's very different than a 1910 warehouse. You see a lot of that retail flair in the craftsmanship. And I think, and we, thankfully, we're seeing that and our leasing has been fantastic. And I think you're seeing that the general office population, the restaurateurs, they want to take their skill set and put that with this enduring architecture. In fact, we named our uh, development company, our LLC, Ghost Sign Development. So it's, what's Ghost Sign Development? All these beautiful patinaed walls of, of different advertisements and different um, businesses that were portrayed you know, over many, many decades. Urban aspects of walkability. And we spent several million dollars in, quite frankly, Dallas's only first ever planned neighborhood that put a big premium on the pedestrian. We're, you know, we're building out of our pocket and out of the city's pocket, streets, protected bike lanes, art, street lights, sidewalk accoutrements, and people want to be a part of that. Now, marrying that with new architecture, we're very excited about that. What about you, Dale? You were talking about... Uh Co-working and open yeah. office. Yes, um, co-working, creative office. So, um, you know, JP Morgan is partners with Todd Interest in the East Quarter project, as um, is, is widely known. And you know, for us, that trend is is something that we see uh, across the country as a, a kind of a, an office mega trend, so to speak. Uh, to use a book, can you guys hear me? Okay, cool. Yeah, you can hear me. Um, yeah, so so creative office is kind of an office uh, mega trend, and and it's one of those buzzwords. What does it exactly mean? You know, I don't know, but it's broadly speaking, uh, cool looking space. You know, brick and timber, um, that kind of thing. And you know, in uh, our other market, you know, Chicago, Boston, New York, um, uh, San Francisco, L.A., whatever. Uh, you know, all it started with tech companies wanting that kind of space, and then. Of, of course, tech is a trendsetter and it's cool. So now everybody uh, more or less wants that kind of space. And it's it's a, it's a wave of a different or demand for a different type of office space, you know, that we've kind of not delivered um, over, you know, whatever the past 20 years. And so there's an opportunity to repurpose a lot of um, old buildings. You know, 10 years ago, um, we, I'll call us all the same age, right? We'll go, we can know we're not. I'm good with that. Yeah, we'd, we'd go looking for office space and look for, you know, kind of high-rise glass and, you know, whatever we call class A at the time. And, and that's what you call prime office space. And, and we'd think, you know, these kids from Facebook and LinkedIn or whatever that want these brick buildings with, you know, uh, wooden ceilings and it's old and exposed brick and whatever, lofty looking stuff are crazy. Well, I guess they're not. <clears throat> 
right? They've started this new trend. And so now we have this great opportunity to repurpose um, uh, older buildings that didn't fit kind of the, the uh, stereotype, so to speak, of office space. Um, and in, in Dallas, we think Dallas is no different. The office demand story here is great, and we're going to keep seeing those trends um, carry on. And so that's driving our investment in East Quarter, and we'll probably do um, more of that um, over time uh, in this market as well. What about you, Jack? Are you seeing uh, more people interested in redevelopment, more competition out there? Well, I'll, I'll basically take on. I, I think people, if you go into a space that's that's old and you can open the windows, as a human, you like that space more than a glassed-in, you got air conditioning and heat coming through the ceiling, and it's it, it becomes very sterile. And so if you're in an office, traditional class A office building, you really, your high enjoyment points of the day are getting out of it at lunch. Um, if you're in an older building that's interesting and you can actually open a window or two, humans just like that condition better. So it's, I just think it took us a long time for the, you know, as, as builders <clears throat> of office, you know, we, we like building tight, tight buildings, pretty glass, tall, um, but humans like something different. So eventually we'll build for what humans want. Eventually. <laughs> Jim, how, how have things changed for you over the years? I think it's an uh, interesting perspective. You know, being from Dallas, you know, everybody on this stage, if you, if you look at what we're doing, is we focus on the urban core. We're all pretty close in what we're, we're doing, regardless of what market it is. And I think, I'm just thinking back to Bishop Arts District when we did that in 85, we had to beg people to come south of the space. And, and so yeah, we had to beg people to come south of the river just to look at space. And now that's totally changed. You know, we, now we have uh, you know, people that are coming to DFW Airport and they're staying for you know, half a day uh, or a day in Bishop Arts District. Uh, we, um, uh, we, we have a waiting list now. But I, I think at that perspective of the, that uh, maybe the bias that used to be there is no longer there. And you, for the, the, the generation that's coming after us has a fresh perspective uh, and, uh, and doesn't have that uh, negative connotation uh, of, of uh, and in the southern sector has such great promise, and particularly the Cedars uh, in the area that uh, Sean's uh, getting ready to take off. So um, I think that uh, there's a there's going to be a lot of new players and a lot of younger folks in this room uh, that are going to be able to uh, uh, take advantage of that. I know Jack's going to talk later about what what he uh, sees as the future of Dallas because this is just important president and growth that we have, uh, you know, since, uh, you know, 2012 or so, we've, we've just, it's, it's not happened before, and it's gonna, there's, it's gonna keep on going. So we mentioned earlier that uh, redevelopment sometimes is not for the faint of heart. Uh, Jack, you discovered about 10,000 chickens in a freezer that had been unplugged for quite a while. Jim, we're not going to talk about things that you've encountered, uh, especially over breakfast. And Sean, your new project downtown has a number of obstacles, not the least of which is getting it done in time to secure those uh, tax credits. So let's talk about some of those obstacles, whether it's financing or dealing with tax, uh, with uh, codes or tax credits or other things that are unique to development projects. What are your biggest challenges when you're facing redevelopment? Well, four, 1401 M wakes up at about 3 a.m. and it goes to bed at about midnight. And I said 1401 M wakes up at about 3 a.m. every morning and it goes to bed at midnight. It is a 24 hour a day development process. And in many ways, it's, uh, it's exciting because it peaks construction, interior design, development, <clears throat> pardon me, incredibly complicated financing structure. Just the state and federal tax credit alone, that structure as far as uh, how that comes together is uh, challenging. But when you kind of feel like you figure it out, it can be very rewarding. But I think the challenge is just the multiple decisions that are made daily and they have to be made on a timely basis. And again, it comes back to the team. You've got to have an excellent architect. You've got to have a great contractor. 
and I could say that like 20 times over, those are probably the key things that we look at in a project like this, is who's the team that we're gonna be working with. And it just requires a lot of on-site supervision. We've got a couple of individuals in our office that that's all they do, and they know it exceptionally well. But um, there's probably this morning 550 people in that building that uh, they came in at 4.30 this morning, they started doing calisthenics, and then started going up 50 floors to you know roll out a project. Logistics are a big aspect of that. Delivery materials are a big aspect of that. Inspections are a big aspect of that. Just the timeliness of making all that come together. And um, it's exciting, it's not for the faint at heart. You don't have to be real smart to do it or I wouldn't be up here, but um, you gotta have a little bit of just, you know, I want to do this. And we've got a team that has that. And thankfully our city does, our city wants that project to happen. It's very exciting. What about you, Jack? Challenges, without challenges, we wouldn't be here, everyone would be up on stage, I guess. The um, challenges are something, we, we keep on taking on things that are, are more challenging. Um, why? Maybe because you're coming through a market that the easy stuff gets done and like 1401 Elm, we looked at that about three times. I couldn't make it work, so Sean, I'm impressed. So it's, Don't, it's, the jury's still out, don't be impressed yet. <laughs> the, the, um, yeah, we're doing 2400 Brian, which is half affordable, half luxury. Um, we've got city help, we've got all sorts of help. Um, and it, it is a deal that, that mixes, you know, from, the, from the, the same parking lot, same lobby, same elevator, same daycare. It's the same, the daycare I'm most excited about mixing basically a guy who's paying, you know, 3000 a month with someone who's paying 700 a month and um, it's changing the community and some people were a little afraid of putting lower income downtown and when they understand that you know when you're starting policeman you're working at Starbucks you're all the people they interface with all day long have to have to have a place to live and you want them in the city people start to understand it and make sense. But mixing it into the same building, financially, guys have a real problem with that. So it's um, just about everyone who's working on that is sitting out over that table over there. And they're, they're actually supposed to get something closed today, I think. So I don't know what they're doing here. But they're here, <laughs> so I guess not. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you've uh, faced, Jim, in your redevelopment? Well, it's a, it's a little bit art and a little bit science, and it takes a hell of a long time. Uh, and there's going to be a gap. Uh, it's more expensive to do redevelopment, and you've got to have patience, uh, and you're going to have a lot of uh, hidden conditions that will uh, uh, will come up along the way. And it's 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 not a three to five year turn. Uh, it takes a couple years of groundwork uh, behind the scenes before you can get it put together, and then you've got another maybe three years to build it, and then another few years to get it stabilized. So it takes it takes longer, and and then then also you know taking buildings that were built around the turn of the century and applying building codes uh, uh, and and ordinances that are are new uh, is very very difficult uh, to navigate that, and and of course. One of the keys that, that Sean uh, points out is a great contractor and great architect. All right, let's talk a little bit about connectivity uh, and how redevelopment can be a key strategy in knitting the city of Dallas back together. Um, Sean, I thought maybe here is where you could talk about East Quarter a little bit. And maybe uh, we can all just dig a little deeper into uh, some of your most recent projects so you can bring uh, everyone up to speed. So, Sean, here's your chance to talk about East Quarter. Okay, great. Can I have everybody else's time? Um, <laughs> well, it's a... I I think to partner first off with a with a very committed firm like JP Morgan uh, in our partnership there, that's remarkable. And I think, you know, part of what I said earlier was a contractor and architect, you've got to have a great financial partner. And their commitment uh, with us and with our team to build out these other developments we sites we have within the project are amazing. I think the, probably for me the most personally gratifying thing within East Quarter is to be able to take historical architecture and historical buildings and couple that with new construction. And the financial challenges of, of going, you really don't want to use your full density, which we're not. I mean, we're designing a class A office tower that has 
standard floor plate split in two has the same efficiency as a rectangle, but everyone has an absolute view of the city skyline. Everybody's on glass. To incorporate in how important transportation is in this city, the ability for us to spend a lot of time in planning is how quick do you get from your house, not just to your building, but how quick do you get from your house actually to your desk. And so we put a lot of thought into the circulation around that project. Uh, if you looked at it, you kind of scratch your head on will it pencil because the materials we're doing in 300 East Pearl, uh, or 300 Pearl, the materials are, they look more what you'd see in a hospitality, in a luxury hospitality exterior. But we believe that those materials, the setbacks we've utilized, the stair-stepping aspects of that with multi on top, the street art that's going in, to be across the street from one of our city's greatest restaurant tours of Nick Batavinas. Uh, Nick's doing three significant restaurants there and he's bringing his buddies around him. Uh, boutique Hotel, you're gonna see that in East Quarter. We've literally been holding um, a beauty pageant of just who's the right group to come in. Dallas doesn't have an Austin type boutique hotel, 50 to 70 rooms with great restaurants, with great design. We don't have that in our city. Why don't we? Well, one might argue that we've never had a neighborhood assembled that many of our colonial cities have had, where Dell's invested in other cities. So a fund for this for us is to be able to mix, well, kind of the title, the new and the old, right? I thought that you were talking about the four of us, the new and the old. I mean, I'll take Dell out, but we are kind of old. But um, in any event, to marry that new architecture with the existing architecture and to create a presence on the street. I mean, people want to get out. If you're at East Quarter now, thankfully we've not lost a lease to anybody that's come to our market. But they want to walk over to Deep Element Lunch and it's so close. They want to go to Farmer's Market, which is one of the city's, I think one of our city's greatest ever public-private partnerships. And they get that urban feel. They want to go down uh, to the Statler. They want to go see the new UT Law School. And doing that, you're seeing new architecture with old architecture and you start creating a sense of purpose. They want to go out at lunch and sit in the city park. I mean, Dallas is crying for that. And we're very thankful that the way that the transportation lines up, the connectivity uh, of, the, of the bike lane that gets to AT&T, that ultimately gets you over to the Calatrava, that connects you to Deep Ellum. Um, listen, we're thrilled that Uber's here. And, um, you know, land's hard to find. We have several more development sites in East Quarter. We will be developing. We're spending money right now that we haven't announced, but we are spending money right now on additional buildings in that development because the demand's so strong. There's a reason we're seeing people like Sterling Bay come to our city. Great developer. It's hard to find property. I bet you they didn't come down here. My guess is they didn't come down here without something in their pocket based on the property they acquired. So all of that Uber along that freeway, that wants to push into that urban core. It wants to go live in an each quarter dynamic. So we're, that's a plug, but we're very, very excited about it. And we have more to announce coming soon. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, Jim, can you talk a little bit about the ambassador and also what you're doing in some of the outlying areas? Okay, yeah. Um, right now we're cleaning the site uh, and we are, uh, there, there's a rezoning case over there in that PD uh, that's in motion right now that has a, uh, a height allowance of around 270 to 300 feet uh, that's in motion right now be going before uh, the city uh, planning commission next week. So we are uh, in that uh, PD. Uh, so we'll be doing a much different product. We will not rebuild the ambassador. You can't recreate history, but we'll honor it. Um, and we uh, we've got some plans that will, we like the product type uh, that we had. Uh, we'll probably uh, be adding a, a hotel component, uh, a boutique, uh, that probably 100 keys or so is what, we, what we're thinking about. But to be uh, a, uh, you know, it's beachfront property over there, you know, looking out over the city. Uh, and I think particularly with what TxDOT has in motion, if you're not familiar, they, they've got, they have the, uh, uh, they're, they're funded and going through design phase for the reconstruction of I-30 in the canyon that totally changes a dynamic over there along with a deck park uh, that they've committed financially to and the city has as well. So you'll have the private piece uh, that'll be left uh, to go. Uh, so we're, we're moving forward on that uh, and we're in the planning stages and re-engage with the city on uh, getting that plan uh, to move forward with the abandonment between us and Dallas Harris 
heritage uh, on that street over there. We think that's important. And then um, uh, for this year, uh, we've been working on for probably about three years is the little town square of, that really doesn't exist. We're going to help recreate it down in Cedar Hill. They have a great community down there. Uh, and, uh, and and we've got a project to start this year downtown Cedar Hill and downtown Ennis. And then there'll be more after that. And, and then also paying attention to what we've got right now because uh, you know, there's a con has anybody been to Reverend's Hall in Bishop Arts District yet? No, okay, there you go. Okay, if you haven't been, talk to the people that raise their hand and and and, and go because it's we worked on that concept for about five years before we got it right with the operator. And it's only 1,500 feet, but we really paid attention to the mix that we have over there. Um, the, the mayor's house, we've, I've been working on it since 2011, believe it or not. Uh, we are fitted, we're gonna get our, we should get our CO uh, uh, today, but that's a historic home that's only 3,500 square feet, but it has, it means a lot to the city of Dallas. Uh, and there's got a lot of history uh, that will be displayed in that. There'll be a restaurant and so it's going to open sometime this quarter so that's been a labor of love for us and uh, is just right on the edge you when we bought it it was not in Bishop Arts District and it took so long now it's in Bishop Arts District <laughs> Jack you know what I'm gonna ask about <laughs> the bullet train uh -huh. what's going on so we, we, are, we are having fun with the bullet train. It is, uh, actually, I think I've been asked not to call it the bullet train. Oh, yeah. Just in case it's like the high speed rail. High, high speed rail, Dallas to Houston. Um, we're actually working on next phase, which uh, includes uh, mid-station over to Austin, San Antonio. I'm probably not supposed to talk about that either. The, um, you already started. But I'm up here, so what the heck. The, um, we are down to the, to the, uh, I guess we've been on it almost five years. Um, in November, December, we purchased, I think it was about 440 parcels of land. Um, we have another probably 700 parcels to purchase this year. They get us the right of way from just north of the gallery in Houston to just south of the convention center in Dallas. It's, um, we have a fixed price contract from the second largest builder of high-speed rail in the world. Um, that's good till about uh, October this year, I believe. So we are at the at the end. We have about 90% of the funds soft-circled, not not contracted. The last 10% is always the toughest. So I'll, I'll talk to my friend here, see if we can throw in just a couple billion extra we need. The um, but we're. we're We've got a serious team working, putting a serious deal together. The um, you know, Department of Transportation has been incredibly uh, strong the last uh, six months. Uh, the Japanese government has been right behind it. Um, we've got great partners, 17 different families in, in uh, Texas that are partners. Um, so we're, we're close. We're not there yet, um, but we are working hard at it. Is that... Well, what kind of an impact do you think it's going to have uh, when it happens? It truly, it truly changes the the dynamic of how people see each other. It, it, when, when the entire system is done in Texas, you'll have 90% of the population within 60 miles of a station. Um, just think about that. You're so 90% of the population, one hour away from using this trail. So once you're into that system, I think it'll actually change dynamics of how cities, I think this city will grow south quicker. I think mid-station is gonna be a massive opportunity and I think the university will, will migrate towards it. Um, gallery is already strong in Houston, but I think that gets stronger. Um, you think of traveling to Austin right now, you always have to add in an extra hour or two for, for that last 30 miles. That, that disappears. Um, same thing with Houston. You know, to get to San Antonio, you got to go through Austin almost. So um, it changes the dynamic. You can have breakfast with a guy in Houston, live in Dallas, have breakfast, and, and be back here for a meeting before lunch. So it's, it, it changes the way you think about it. So. 
I recently had a chance to uh, try high-speed rail in Europe, and I'm, it changed my way of thinking about it. It was so great. You could just sit there and work and uh, Zurich to Paris in less than four hours, and it was amazing. Um, okay, so let's talk about what areas of town are particularly ripe for redevelopment. We've talked about Deep Bellum, and we've talked about some of the outlying areas. Uh, without maybe giving away all of your secrets, are there some other uh, areas that you think could stand to have a redevelopers touch or that are attracting interest well I just want to say Jack remember your friends you know developing around those higher speed rail stations right <laughs> which, which, <laughs> we love, which friends you <laughs> we, we love Texas I want to do a lot more here okay, we'll, we'll talk uh, after um, so yeah, I, I, now I'm not going to give away any secrets. You know, East Quarter is you know more East Quarter, and uh, Deep Ellum, we're we're in a deal in Deep Ellum. Um, I'll just say from a from a big picture perspective, you know, being a relative foreigner to Dallas, that you, I it. I'm sure you can go wrong, but it's going to be hard, in my view, to go wrong in, in your city because um, the, the macro trends are just pretty overwhelming in terms of the, um, the, the business case or the personal case or whatever for, for more uh, companies and more growth um, within Dallas. You know, I mean, you, all the neighborhoods um, you mentioned uh, already and, and more design district, East Quarter, you know, further north from Uptown and and whatever, um, there's just going to be, I think, more in-town growth, m more growth around all the, the urban nodes and, and, and a ton of opp opportunity. <clears throat> I also want to take this time to say, you know, don't screw it up, okay? Like, <laughs> stay focused on the important stuff because it's going really great. And uh, Dallas is kind of a, not Dallas and, and Texas in general, uh, is kind of a shining star around the country. We look at all these macro numbers and um, the, the, the saying around our office is, you know, the GDP growth in America is pretty much Texas and California, right? Everything else is kind of window dressing. So um, is, there's a lot of good things going on here and, and it, it just feels like maybe 10 years from now we'll be saying something different, but it just feels like where, wherever you go, if you're smart about, um, you know, the human, accounting for the human factor, right? People want amenities and, you you know, they want to live where they can go to the grocery store and watch a movie and, you know, send their kids to school and stuff like that. And they want to work close to where they live and where they can go have lunch. And if you're smart about your site selection and uh, the amenity situation um, where uh, you're doing your projects, it, it feels pretty hard not to um, just participate in the overall um, rising tide, you know, in this city. Anyone else? I, th I think the big difference from 20 years ago, actually, I don't know, when Laura Miller was mayor, is that almost 20 years ago? Um, I used to say we had pockets of great stuff in Dallas, but the connection points were not good. That That is changing. Now, it's almost seamless as you, as you go through town. There's very few areas where you don't feel good. Um, but if you think about the, the fellow who's running the company in Chicago, New York, LA, their board is making them look at Dallas, at Texas, um, and they have to argue why they're not moving. They're, they're not, they have to defend not moving here just because the quality of life is better. I just uh, met with some Toyota people. Across the board, they're so happy they moved. They, their quality of life is better. They're, their transit to their office is better. Um, they, they just like the quality of life here. The trick is they're telling people, and, and it, it's coming faster and faster at us. As we, we've heard, don't screw it up. I, I agree. Developers are great at pushing the extra, the extra deal that we don't need. So we'll see, we'll see how it happens. You know, you know, I think I don't have much to add on that, but I think the the challenge for 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 us will be given the the time that it takes is the product type, uh, because as as right now, uh, you know, we, Todd talked about uh, co working, you know that we we if we've got a project that is going to be built in three to four years, the world will change by then. So we're looking at uh, building more flexible spaces, though that that 
we've learned a lot from doing some of the, the work live space uh, in the past because now I mean people work and live in the same space and just have flexible spaces. So uh, it's always fun to see a new building come up, but I wanted to talk with you guys about the rewards of seeing something, a building or a neighborhood come back to life. So taking something that just was uh, derelict uh, or bringing you know, a neighborhood down and just transforming it, it you know, it's just it's something that's unique to redevelopment. So I wanted to ask you about how the rewards of doing something like that, and maybe if you have any particular uh, uh, experiences to share. Yeah, thanks, Christine. You know, we uh, we are not just a real estate company, and I think uh, the the background of uh, the folks up here will, will, will probably be pretty much the same in that we invest heavily in our community, and we we have a double bottom line. We eventually want to make a reasonable return on our investment. But we positively want to impact the neighborhoods and community, and we it took us a long time to figure that out in Bishop Bishop Arts, but we did it in the design district. We just did it in uh, on Jefferson Boulevard. You get to see the impact that you can make in a community and, 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 and reinvigorate these neighborhoods. When we did Waxahachie, uh, the downtown square down there back in 2015 or so, it was all boarded up. Just like Bishop, Bishop Arts District was all boarded up back when we did that. Uh, and, and now it's vibrant. And it's something that the town's proud of, and it, we and we didn't do it all. We, we led the we led the way, and it's it's and it's uh, emboldening. Uh, and heartening to see the difference that you can make uh, in the communities. Yeah, if you haven't been to the town square in Waxahachie, it's just beautiful, and it, you just feel so good when you're there too. Uh, what about you, Jack? Uh, strange things make us happy. Um, I, I love going down to South Lamar at night and seeing people lined up to go in places traffic jams, uh, that's, a, that's part of the town that just no one was there. So it, it makes you, it, yeah, there's some strange internal thing that you're happy seeing people enjoying something that most of the city didn't believe was possible. Well, we can see the impact on Ross Tower of uh, your most recent project. Yeah. And can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, yeah, so, you know, one of the there's a lot of cool things about the Triangle Crow Center redevelopment. You know, just uh, seeing it happen, it, we, we worked tirelessly, uh, JP Morgan and Stream over the past several years, and have, you know, seeing that belief come to life, you know, is, is something every developer enjoys. But um, I think for me, just thinking back to, I remember me and Ramsey talk about this all the time. The first time I took over working on that deal for our company, and standing in Tramacore Center, looking out at this parking lot that was a surface parking lot, and at, I don't know, I think at one point it was a gas station or something like that. Um, but it's been a surface parking lot forever, just kind of a big hole um, in a part of the city that felt like there was a lot of opportunity there. Um, and seeing that turn into, you know, a kind of restaurant row um, is pretty cool. And I think, I think we landed some pretty cool concepts there um, that are going to do great and are great addition um, to the neighborhood. Um, to, to me, seeing that is awesome. It, it feels like, you know, kind of what should happen there. I'm glad we were able to pull it together. It, we look at a lot of projects and talk about a lot of things that, you know, it always doesn't happen like that. You know, what should happen is not always what happens, right? You know, oftentimes, you know, you go through the process and this is what we should build, but, you know, this is what we can get approved and that's something else. Or, you know, this is what we can execute in the timeline and that's something else. But I feel like with the Trauma Core Center 2000 Ross Avenue project, what should happen is is what happened. And and that's that's pretty cool. And there's going to be a JW Marriott there. At some, I think I can say that. Anyway, I said it's it. It's been announced. Oh, yeah. oh yeah, there's an article. Right. So there's going to be a JW you Marriott. There's going to be a JW Marriott there, which is going to be awesome, and you know, at the uh, this is not an infomercial deal. What's that? It's not an infomercial. It's totally an infomercial. Like what? That's why we're here. Uh, and then there's going to be another something else on the Olive Street side of that site too, which is going to further add to um, you know what uh, the Hall Group, Kim's Group is doing, and, and everyone else in the neighborhood. So very very exciting to see that all come together in that part of the city. What about you, Sean? Gosh, a lot of things to 
you feel really blessed to get to be part of the core of downtown. And I think a lot of it that we feel great reward in and joy in is seeing people in our city streets again. If you think about what's happened from an economic perspective, look at the tremendous success of Uptown over the last 10 years. There's not a block of 125,000 feet in Uptown today that's Class A. Now think about that. There's not a 125,000 square foot block of space in Uptown that's Class A available today. You've got some Class B buildings, okay? But look at the rents in Uptown today. Look at the success of that just from a rent perspective, from an economics perspective. While all that growth's been going on, which is remarkable, look at the 360 plan over 10 years ago, birthed by Downtown Dallas Inc., that gave developers and property owners and citizens a path to see how this city can repurpose itself. Look at the dozens of buildings in Downtown Dallas that now have adaptive reuse that were formerly office, 1960s, 1970s, 1930s, that have been converted now to residential. Look at the rents downtown, what's happening. Look at the 18,000 people that now live in the core of downtown. I'm talking about the core inside of the freeways. So that is joyful for us to be a part of what the city's birthed with DDI and the 360 plan and to see the people in the street again. Another rewarding factor is just to go, I was in Dialexis space this past week, and to see 300 highly paid executives in a 100-year-old series of buildings stranded together that are excited about their workplace, that are being a part of architecture, what Dale talked about earlier, and also excited about being part of a neighborhood that's bringing new development to that neighborhood. And I think that's what we're really craving for in the city. We wanna be a part of something that feels good. And I think just creating spaces, we're learning a lot. I think downtown has a lot of promise still. You know, we talk a lot about transportation and freeways and cars. Well, 15 years ago, we never even had a conversation about that. And let's face it, we need less carbon footprint. We need less vehicles on our street. But let's also face the point that many of these buildings don't work without parking. One of the key things for us to work around in East Quarter was with the new office space, it demands three per thousand parking. You get that in the suburbs, but to produce a class A office building in an urban setting on the edge of downtown, to make the economics work on that and to deliver that, and the reality of it is that's still what office tenants want. So we're excited about kind of the amalgamation of all these things coming together. Um, it's fun to see it happen. And I think you're gonna see more happen. Back to your earlier question I didn't respond to. You're gonna see more happen, I believe, in the core of downtown, because rents are at a point in the northern part of town that are being very challenging, and downtown has uplifted an amazing quality of life that people wanna be a part of. There's some large towers that won't make it without parking. They just won't make it. And so you're gonna see some parking, some things come about that create opportunity for that to, to happen in the core of our city. Now hopefully they'll fill up. I've lived uh, downtown for three years, and it's just really amazing to see uh, everything that's been happening. Uh, and the new AT&T uh, development, Absolutely. too, I think, is another kind of connector. Absolutely. Huge for our city. Yeah. All right. So before we go to questions from the audience, I wanted to talk with you guys about what has you most excited about the future. And if you could also weigh in on uh, the demand angle, what you're seeing and what you, uh, what you predict is ahead for our market. I, I, I think, you know, I think pretty, pretty simple. I, I think this high-speed rail uh, uh, project will be hugely impactful. Uh, and I think the, the, particularly the, the, the Cedars area and the southern area downtown, uh, with the reconstruction of the I-30 in the Deck Park, uh, that's going to be an exciting spot to be doing business in. Uh, most excited about the future. Uh, that's, that's a tough question uh, for a foreigner to answer, but I think a uh, <laughs> foreign, foreigner uh, in so many ways. Uh, as it relates to Dallas and Texas, I think, you know, again, comparing what's going on here to other places, the, the, the quality uh, it's it's funny. A side note: I have this conversation all the time with people from Dallas that you know have some complaint or other about you know the government process or something like that. I'm like you know, you should try California or New Jersey. Um, 
but anyway, the, the quality of the of governance here, right? Just um, I think the governance here works great, and it you know the people generally speaking get it, and that's not a political statement at all. It's just an efficiency statement. Stuff just works. You can get things approved. You know, you deal with people, and they get the point and stuff like that. And uh, that's that's huge, right? That that means a lot. It's a, it's a big driver of what's hap happened here. And you know, like I said before, don't screw that up because if you screw that up, everything changes. Leadership matters. Uh, it matters a lot, especially for cities and and local governments and stuff like that. That's where most of the decisions that we interface with day to day get met. And having good people doing that stuff is is key. And that to me, if I had to pinpoint one thing, that's most. You could talk about the movie, the move, the corporate relocations and stuff like that. But those are all symptoms, I think, of you know, kind of the good governance and you know the the populace supporting good governance and stuff like that. And that, to me, is very exciting about Texas. Jack, back to you real quick. I wanted to ask you about uh, something you mentioned in our pre-call about the demand for um, space in Dallas, what you're seeing, and where you think our market's going to be in 10 to 20 years. The demand is... is is at the doorstep. It's it's pushing in. Um, growth is uh, it's coming here for a whole bunch of reasons. I think good governance over the last thirty years is a big piece of that. Um, when government surprises ties up business, it, it goes away. It chooses other places to go. Um, so right now we're. A lot of good things are happening for a lot of good reasons, and yes, we can mess that up. Um, it's, um, I, I just think there's a whole bunch of decisions being made in very micro areas that are in a macro way coming towards us, and um, we got to be ready for them. And, um, and, so, and so far, we have been. I don't know if I answered your question. Is that okay? Um, uh, we've only come a certain uh, that we're only on the cusp of the growth that we're going to see. So Abs absolutely, it's um, you, you think about how hard it was 20 years ago to get someone from California, New York, to think about. You, you think about J.C. Penney back when they came. That was an outlier. That was an absolute. Well, how did that happen? Thing, um, but that was really the beginning of what's happening right now. The difference is you've got so many test cases that are sending back the signal saying, hey, the water's really nice here. Um, jump in and, and people are looking. Um, will we mess it up by, by greed? Will we mess it up by government restrictions? Will we mess it up by not taking care of traffic? You know, on and on and on. Yeah, we can mess it up, but still no state income tax, really lost low cost of housing. We've got to improve things like education, like looking after you know, trying to buy a $250,000 house in Dallas, Texas is tough. We got to figure out that market and uh, and fix it. Looking after the lower income side of life, got to do it. The the high tech education, we, we've got to do it. So we've got lots of challenges. It's not perfect here by any stretch, but thing is, it's much better here than almost anywhere else I can think of. What about you, Sean? What has you most excited for the future? Um, I think perspective is important. I'm, I'm the, the old guy in the office, and um, I'll say a lot, pause and just ponder what you're doing right now. Absorb it, see what's happening. Uh, I get the freedom to go around to some great firms and see the young talent that's engaged in something that's remarkable. And so I get excited about the next generation. I'm at Merriman Architecture this week with a great group of interior designers. I'm at Anderson's office seeing a bunch of great men and women that um, in their 30s, 20s, mid 30s. I look at our young team and seeing what they're a part of and what they're leading in. That excites me just to see that what's getting, um, what you're absorbing, what you're learning during this market and the passion among all these individuals to want to be a part of something that's truly unique. And our city is very unique right now. And Jack talked about JCPenney. I remember when Sid Uberman brought them you know, to, to Plano. It was transformative. But you had to really make a pitch for that to happen. And they came here purely for tax and economics. 
Now you have companies moving here for quality of life because it exists. I'm excited about what's happening in DISD. I'm excited about the change that's taking on in our educational system within our city. I'm excited that we have a Montessori school downtown. I'm excited about what's going on with El Centro. I mean, education is important. Um, we've got challenges as it relates to poverty and to homelessness, and we've got to focus on that. We've got to have honest, difficult conversations. And I know that's beginning. I know that's happening. But we've all got to be a part of that conversation. That, that term, let the dirt fly, okay, Carpenter, Stimmons, Woodall Rogers, those men and the women beside them and the women leading now in our industry together, we've got to all roll our sleeves up and keep this going. And I see it happening, and I know many people in this room are doing that. I think it's a big buy on Dallas right now. I agree with Jack. It's only going to come more to the urban core. It's only going to be focused on that dynamic. People want to experience urbanism, and it's finally happening in our city since the 1950s and 60s. It's back. All right. Uh, ready for some questions from the audience. Who would like to uh, ask our uh, panel something? Got some great minds up here. Insurance coverage in place. We had a couple last couple of years some of the worst property related casualties incidents in the country. It was, you know, damage is hit. Areas are actually leaving the excess market. So, you got know, the funding in the world. I'm just kind of curious what sort of restrictions you're seeing from the as far as getting proper coverage your project. Oh, well, I'll give you an answer. Premiums are outrageous. I'll give you an answer, it's not the one you want. Premiums are outrageous in insurance. It's absolute theft what we're paying as property owners relative to property and casualty. We spend a lot of time finding the absolute best agent that we can find that can drill down and explain our projects. And we're doing projects that aren't ground up. And so you've got to really have an agent that can get to the underwriter and the carrier that really understands what we're doing. And thankfully we've been able to do that, but it takes a lot of work. Ask any general contractor. Ask Jack. His, I mean, Jack's family. Jack leads a huge construction company. He's not even talked about. I bet you they're self-insuring on a big part of that, or they've teamed up with a big life company to help lay off that risk. So, I mean, insurance is challenging, to be frank with you. But um, anyway, there you go. Good morning. This is Mike working now. Okay, good. Um, haven't talked much about sustainability and lead and other advanced features in buildings going forward and solar on the rooftop of the buildings where it fits. Could you talk a little bit about that, please? I, I tell you, I don't know how many years ago, 10 years ago, talking about two owners, uh, you know, about, about lead and sustainability, it was a topic. Right now, it's what you do. It's um, every decision, every single decision has that input now. And that, that was not the case 15 years ago, 10 years ago, but we're doing some stuff right now in Broward County and we don't, we think about it at every single meeting. It's not, it's not, we don't bring in an expert that's gonna take us through 10 steps of how we should look at this. It's everyone is, already on it right from the very start from the the engineers the architects right through so it's not a um, it's just part of the process now so you don't actually you talk about it every single day and every single decision you're making it's not a special topic anymore it's, it's just part of the process yeah for us it's pretty much uh, I'd echo that it's it's part of what you do especially in a high quality class A environment you know you, you expect that you're gonna have a sustainable sustainable building in our mind is just good building I put it like that so um, it's you know we start that conversation at the beginning of any development or construction process um, and you know it's just integrated into what we do
so I have a question about opportunity zones. Um, I know the Cedars fell into an opportunity zone, and I think Blockhouse is the only East Quarter uh, building that fell into one, but I'm curious if that changes the math um, on anything you own at all, or uh, I guess on anything that you're pursuing. Um, and if you actually think that the existence of opportunity zones um, is actually gonna drive some you know, actual redevelopment um, in those areas, because at this point it just seems like a lot of sort of speculation um, and not necessarily a, a true commitment to redevelopment. So, thanks. Yeah, so I, yeah, so basically we have a lot of land that's in an opportunity zone that really doesn't do us any good unless we're selling the land. Um, our problem was we kind of have a long-term uh, desire to be here. So we've bought some new pieces that are in opportunity zones. We're working with other people who have opportunity zones where they want to make large investments. So the, the trick with the opportunity zone, it's a, it's a tax change, and that tax change took you know, 18 months to get specified as actually what it meant. It's probably longer than 18 months. So people until six months or so ago really didn't understand all the rules. Um, but we are seeing decisions being made by others that were helping through processes um, that will make investments. So I actually think it's, there was a delay. It, it's a government program that doesn't make a bad deal good. Usually government programs make bad deals good deals. This one makes good deals better. Um, so it's, and depending on what your circumstances are, how long your time horizons are, it's, it's a great tool used by the right people at the right time in the right spot. So will it have effect? It, it will. Um, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a long tax uh, program. So that's, am I answering your question? Yeah. I think I think Jack said that well. I think the reality of it was there wasn't definition enough to the Tax Act until recently how people can truly benefit from it. You had a lot of funds that were started and funds in place and people that that put cash into that fund, but those funds are now at a point that they can startling start to now quantify what they can invest into. We've got two sites in East Quarter that are an opportunity zone. We didn't create that zone. It was in place when we bought those properties. Um, and to Jack's point, it was not a driver for us, but it is a very attractive, it's an attractor to people looking at one of those properties in particular now, because they've got funds that they can benefit from the tax plan. Um, we've been to a lot of seminars on it, we've researched it, and we think it's gonna start seeing, Dallas will start seeing the benefit of that, I think in the next one to two years. You're gonna see properties that trade because of that. I think if you talk to contemporaries around the country, None of that's really happened yet. Hopefully, it's going to start happening. Now, I also think that really smart money isn't on the development side. It's I agree. on the operations I side. Concur. If you have a company you're starting up, put it in an opportunity zone, and you'll really enjoy when you come to sell that company down the road, you're going to be very happy if it's in an opportunity zone. Um, you've got to do the right tax stuff in the, in the meantime. But that's the huge difference. Um, that I don't think people really understand because it's the, the knowledge hasn't percolated through. So if you're starting up a company, have a small company that you think is going to get large, move to an opportunity zone and, and read the rules. It's, it, it, that would be a bigger game change than, than from a development point of view, I think. That's all for today's episode. I'd like to thank our panelists for their time as well as our guests and sponsors for their support. Please remember to subscribe to TrackCast wherever you get your podcasts and follow the Real Estate Council on social media. Until next time, I'm Bill San Antonio. Thanks for listening.